beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. The known universe is ruled by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, my father. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice expands consciousness. The spice is vital to space travel. The Spacing Guild and its navigators, who the spice has mutated over 4,000 years, use the orange spice gas, which gives them the ability to fold space. That is, travel to any part of the universe without moving. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you, the spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. A desolate, dry planet with vast deserts. Hidden away within the rocks of these deserts are a people known as the Fremen, who have long held a prophecy that a man would come, a messiah, who would lead them to true freedom. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Doom. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and it is a gothic New Orleans evening in front of this haunted mansion that I also live in. And you can tell because you can see it on the internet, and that's definitely real. All right. It's episode 109 of Full Metal RPG. I got my co-host, Richie Buzzkill. What up, Playa? How you doing? Take two. Better be good. Better be good. You're fired. Oh, Take boy. two. Oh boy, <laughs> I, I, that was my mistake. My bad. Anyway, I'm doing. I'm doing better now. We're we're recording theoretically. <laughs> recording. <laughs> it's a, a, uh, a part of podcasting, kids. Podcasting 101 is you must actually record the podcast, or else there is no podcast. All right. It's a good tip. So we won't dwell. We're not dwelling on that. Always forward. Uh, Ashley, what up, my other co-host? How you doing? I am fantastic. I am in space. So. Good. Doing great. Which Loving is it. the final frontier, as someone has pointed out to me before. Are you <laughs> in 10 forward uh, enjoying uh, like... Some uh, Ractagino, yes. And yeah. a, a mermaid mug. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Did, this, did the, the replicator replicate the mermaid mug to yeah. drink it? Oh, yes, sick. yeah. Mm-hmm. Fucking sick. Fucking sick, dude. All right, great. And we have a special guest today. We have Khaldun Khalil. All the way from the East Coast of the United States, freelance writer, independent role-playing game designer, and uh, writer from some properties that Full Metal RPG fans love and hold very dear to their hearts. Khaldun, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, backstage at an episode of Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chilling out. Glad yes, to be here. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. So, um... This is your second time on the show. Welcome back. Uh, it's, I understand you've been working on some uh, cool materials and the 
perhaps today we'll get some little seeds and kernels of like uh, what you've been working on. Sound good? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm. You feel free to pick my brain about whatever. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, I know that yeah, there's a couple of things that I've been working on that you guys uh, want to talk about, and we have talked about, and you know, hopefully I'll have some more interesting things to say than. Um, than I did last time. I, mean, I won't repeat myself. <laughs> well, I know, I, I have the feeling one of our cultists has already given us a question to ask you. I suspect that the question will uh, bump up against one of your uh, non-disclosure agreements, but uh, we're going to ask it anyway because we said that we would, but we'll get to that later. We'll get back to, get, get to that later. So, uh, you know, that is always a fair answer to the question, which is that the role-playing game company that I work for doesn't want me talking about that just yet. So, uh, here we are, everybody doing well, everybody holding it down. Solid gold. Let's do a show. So, uh, <laughs> we all just nod our head. It's a, now a video show yeah. for some reason. Oh but yeah. yeah. Totally. Right. totally. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We Let really got to stop. That. We really got to stop doing that. Like, I definitely listened to some episode one and there was definitely a little bit of like, oh, you can tell that we're on video now and we got to get our, our brains around that. All right. <laughs> so uh, we got some new patrons for the Patreon. The Patreon continues to uh, roll strong. Um, very happy with the, uh, the support we're getting from the cultists on Patreon. Uh, we have two brand new ones and they're both... Uh, kind of close to my heart. Uh, one of them is my old friend um, Rob. Uh, fucked up your name, Rob. Rob Arcangeli. I'm sorry about that, dude. It was like my tongue literally felt swollen, and it wouldn't. It, it was. I was going like this. Like I, uh, anyway, Rob Arcangeli. Thank you for your Patreon pledge. Hell and yeah. then uh, my close personal friend and uh, professional associate Chris Kohler of Slow Death Games has also pledged uh, some Patreon support. And um, I talked to both these gentlemen one-on-one -on -one about uh, about their Patreon pledges, and both of them uh, listen to the show, and both of them kind of like believe in what the show does. And of course, you know, um, we're very heartened by that. Uh, ever since, we, we over the years, we've changed a lot, and we've gone through a lot of different, kind of just iterations trying to figure out what the show kind of is and what it means. And I really feel like the latest greatest version of full metal RPG is just the most, um, like, like to the core of what it is that we're trying to do. So, uh, the fact that we've gotten so much appreciation from the cult to help us do this work is we're, we're, we're infinitely thankful. And I want you to know that we have some really big plans coming up over the next 12 to 24 months and those uh, pledges that we get on the Patreon are what will uh, allow us to make all that cool stuff happen. Um, so if you are listening to the show, you thought about pledging for a long time, please do consider it. Uh, and to all of our patrons who have pledged for all this time, and some of you have been like consistent Patreon pledgers for like three years, which blows my mind. Uh, thank you all so much uh we really we literally we literally can't do it without you so so again thank you very much um and thank you. thank you to chris and thank you to rob you can interact with both of those gentlemen on our discord server which is still popping we have such a great community down there of awesome people i for one am having a blast uh hanging out with chris and rob and just a lot of other a lot of really fun other people and we talk about a lot of stuff you don't have to be a super role-playing game nerd. You don't have to be a Star Trek nerd. It helps. 
<laughs> but you don't have to be. You can talk about whatever you want. You come down to our page, uh, our, our our Discord server. So um, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, shall we take a trip into the black hole? The black hole. The black hole. The black hole is the ever-sucking <laughs> void that consumes all of our time, time, resources, and attention. It is role-playing. The greatest of hobbies. So, everyone, uh, I've been talking too much. Let's talk about what we've been up to. Uh, uh, Ashley. Yes. Riddle me this, Ashley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? Well, uh, I still have my Pathfinder 1 and 2 campaigns going. And I actually, after we talked about what it takes to GM a game like Pathfinder and how much work goes into it, I was talking to my roommates, the GM for it. And I was like, how is it that you can GM two different campaigns that are both Pathfinder, but two different versions of Pathfinder that are really similar, but just a little bit different? And he's like, it's it's awful. It's a lot of work. And I'm like, I can't even imagine the work that goes into that. But he does a really good job with it. And it's a lot of fun. So um, no one's died yet. Did he say, was that a quote? Did he literally say awful? No, he just said it takes a oh, lot okay. of work. Yeah, no, <laughs> okay, he said okay. he said it takes a lot of work to do. And um, so I made sure that he knows that I appreciate the work that he puts into it because they're both like they're both really good campaigns. They're a lot of fun. Awesome. So, awesome. yeah, I think your GM is on our discord, actually. So what up to you? Thank you for being on the discord and mm-hmm. putting in all that hard work on those two Pathfinder campaigns because I'm sure it's breaking your back. Yeah. Yeah. So I have both of those. No one died in Pathfinder 2 yet. So that's exciting. Um, We're almost done with the intro module adventure that we're doing. And uh, we have another person coming in to help out so that we don't hopefully die. I don't know. We we might still die. I don't know. Um, But those are still going. I have a Ravnica campaign that just started. We just did character creation for it. So it's a a 5e ravnica campaign magic the um, gathering based yes yes because i also play magic and so uh we have some of our magic friends that have gone together and we're going to be doing those campaigns um that's that i'm pretty excited about i'm actually playing a barbarian for the first time i've never i usually am a spell slinger or something oh. more finesse than just nice. smashy fucker yeah so i'm excited about person? that are you an elephant person or <laughs> I'm an orc. Okay. I'm a, an orc and it's called a Norden, I guess hmm. is it's, it's not a barbarian. It's like a Viking. Right. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. So that'll be starting up soon. Is the one with, like all the guilds and shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How does that, uh, play style function within D and D? Is it, is it, is it fun and engaging kind of like when you're playing vampire and you're trying to choose like a clan and a sect and that kind of stuff? Or is it, I mean, is that something that happens at character creation or is that something that yeah. happens as you're playing? At character creation, you choose your guild because uh, the type of character you play is going to be based on your guild and what the goals of the guild would be and all of that. So as far as actually playing, I don't know yet. I'm excited to get into mm. it and see. But like some of the guilds don't like each other. And yeah, so I have right. a feeling that it's going to play out similarly to how Vampire does with the clans. Cool. So cool. Yeah. Great. So, yeah, I'm excited about that. And then I also started the... Uh, Tiny Cthulhu actual play. We did character creation for that last week. That one is going to be on Gallant Knight Games channel, so we'll put information about that out when it's available. But yeah, I'm excited to get into that too. Red. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Defo's Cultists. Uh, when we start posting Ashley's uh, the links to Ashley's work for the Tiny Cthulhu campaign, 
definitely go check it out and check out Gallon Night Games and the uh, tiny line of products for your kind of like you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Khaldun, how about you, man? What are you up to? What's what's cracking? Um, well, um, you know, I've been under quarantine here, uh, right outside DC, for about a. Uh, I don't know about a year now, basically. Uh, so that's been a bit bit crazy. Um, and I just moved right. I just moved here from LA, and then basically about three four months after I moved here, it was just quarantine lockdown. I've just never really been able to, you know, I guess like full on unpack and like get on with my life down here. Um, so on some level, that's a little weird, but it's given me, you know, um, a lot of time to write. So I've been doing a lot of writing for, uh, you know, RPGs. Uh, and, uh, you know, board games and stuff. And uh, I'm starting a um, D&D campaign, uh, 5e, and uh, I'm playing D&D in you know, some campaigns. Uh, and, yeah, I'm just writing on my own stuff here and there as well. Yeah. I've been trying to keep busy. Solid. Because in L.A., you were kind of a fixture in the LARP community, right? And uh, you were part of some big LARPs, is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly what's called, like, troop LARPs, not really the, like, you know, large organized uh, play stuff. Uh, you know, I've had mixed experiences with those. Uh, the, you know, I've tried them every now and then, but I usually find, like, um, smaller games are usually more my cup of tea when it comes to LARP, and, and specifically Vampire LARP is, you know, my, my area of interest, not so much, uh, you know, Boffer or Fantasy LARPs. Um, but yeah, I've been doing LARPs, um, running and playing them, uh, I guess, since 93, 94, something like that. Uh, wow, no and, kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, no, my first LARP was in, like, Balticon in 1992. Uh, and that was run by uh, Mike Tinney and Ian Lemke, uh, you know, who did Night Owl Productions. And Mike would eventually become the CEO of White Wolf. And Ian, of course, wrote Changeling and still writes RPGs uh, to this day. Um, so it was, it was kind of weird back then because you really, uh, you know, you really bumped into the creators, you know, pretty early on. Uh, in fact, we even got a, we even decapitated Mark Reinhagen in a LARP uh, in in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, technically, we didn't decapitate him. Yeah, his his Templar decapitated him and gave him gave us his head. Uh, so that was, you know, I wish we'd taken a picture. Uh, but any, yeah, but in any case, yeah, uh, LARPing is, um, yeah, is, is its own, uh, special thing in the RPG community. I, I, um, I think it's really, um, you know, something special, uh, and, uh, it really, uh, something special in the terms of vampire as well. Uh, I think that if you never have the opportunity to, uh, play live action role playing as a, va- as a lover of, uh, the vampire game, especially that, uh, you really deserve uh, deserve to treat yourself to do that to, you know, if you're comfortable doing it to try it out because it really brings a whole other dimension to, uh, the vampire game that I don't know if you get to experience on a tabletop level, uh, especially if you like the political dimension of the game. Um, of course, the most important thing, but, uh, is, you know, having people you trust uh, that you play with, that's even more important in a live action setting than in a tabletop setting, like hands down. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with the way that things have been going with the pandemic, like I, I imagine that LARPs have just been completely shut down. You know, I, I imagine that there's just really yeah. no ability to LARP even if you wanted to, right? 
Yeah, I've seen some people try. And um, actually, the LARP that we ran in, um, that my partner and I ran in L.A. before uh, we moved to D.C., uh, which was a, a Sabat LARP that we ran for about um, I don't know, six, eight months before we left, uh, that was played, I'd say 50% of the LARP was played over Discord. It's kind of like a text RPG. Um, so that we probably could have continued to play if we knew the pandemic was coming. We were planning on continuing it on as a, a live-action LARP here in the D.C. area. Uh, and then everything got you know, locked down. Um, yeah. So I think that uh, you know, Discord uh, you know, gives you that. If you're moving from a LARP space to a Discord space, I think that's tenable. You can do it. Uh, you just need some you know, dedicated moderators, really. So it's, uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like all things in role playing, right? Absolutely. Uh, well, so how about you, Richard? How what's what you've been working on, man? Uh, well, I've been playing um, Eternal Eyes, um, where got uh, got captured again uh, and thrown in a pit with a cage over top of it. So we'll we'll see. I think we've already escaped that, but that was uh, <laughs> lots of bugs in a jungle. That's it's about as spoilery as I can get right there, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm, I think I finding the voice for the character cause it, I, I created, a, it was a priest. So that's always something that's kind of interesting for me cause I'm not a Bible person or a religious person, but I it was fun to, um, have a philosophical conversation with a cultist. So to try and convince them to do what we wanted and they're like, Oh yeah, well, I'll go show you my terrible God. Sure fine, whatever. So I, I got what I wanted. It just took, of course, this is like, this is the GM's like favorite thing is just to literally have conversations about philosophy using role-playing is like literally if he, he's like, he has said that, uh, if they could have gotten uh, degrees in philosophy <laughs> in the amount of time they spent doing philosophy discussions in his games over the years. So, <laughs> No, I think that's great. I think that's an excellent like application of the RPG space. And I think that you find that in a lot of these kind of more like cerebral horror games. I know that that comes up a lot in uh, Vampire where you get, especially when there was like things like Paths of Enlightenment and stuff. There was a lot of time spent talking about like, well, what is good? And like, what does it mean to be human? And, uh, in Mage and in Cthulhu games, you're going to get a lot of, well, what is reality and what does that really mean? Like, why, why does any of this shit matter? Kind of interestingly, uh, Warhammer ends up, like, if you listen to the Warhammer novels about um, the dumb space marines, uh, the, those kind of tend to break down into these conversations that are like junior philosophy courses where it's oh. like... Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely kind of like like <laughs> layman like science fiction philosophy. Uh, okay, yeah, but it's yeah. definitely you get you get a lot of kind of um, space marines talking about philosophical issues because their existence is kind of a paradox in and of itself. And then whenever they are put in a position where they have to decide, like, well, what should we do? Um, then they have to argue about it, right? And that's, I mean, that's very kind of Star Trekian in a certain way, like conundrums in space let's argue about the bullet points of uh from a phil philosophy book so i think that's a great way to spend an evening role-playing i'd much rather do that than having a 
ju- dungeon crawl. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And and we we definitely had a little. There was a little like bef- that was the next thing was then he took us to the terrible place. But uh, we um, <laughs> it it's you know when you're dropping into a new as a new character in the middle of a long running campaign, it's sort of trying to find your footing. Cause you're so used to a certain jacket. Like you've got your jacket on that. You're like, I am this character. And then you put it on, you're like, oh, I have to hang this jacket up. Like it's my favorite jacket, but otherwise it's going to be completely destroyed. And I think this is what the jacket wants. And then I, I put on a new jacket and it's got a priest collar on it. I'm like, well, I got to figure out how to get this, collar to be the right size and you know it that's a tortured metaphor that well, we'll have to live with forever uh <laughs> it's on the internet now dude that's right We're, in video it's locked in the servers <laughs> Mag- magnets have encrusted it forever yep. um i th- i think that that's an interesting kind of point to bring up like new character in an ongoing campaign syndrome it's it takes a minute to get used to it, doesn't it? It changes the whole vibe of the table. It changes it, and it's it's strange because um, it's kind of almost like bumping into your ex girlfriend. You've like been broken up for a while, but then you're like going to the movies with the same friends, and you're like, "Well, this all looks very familiar, but it doesn't feel very familiar." You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then you have to reorient the sensation of playing that character at the table, and I think that. Sometimes it can be very successful, much like reorienting your ex-romantic partner into a friend. And sometimes it is not. And sometimes the campaign just, you know, crumples in on itself in its own weight, um, much like a relationship can divide a friendship group, you know? Yep. I, I, I do hope that it goes well for you, uh, young Richard. I do hope that you're able to accomplish that. I, 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 I'm finding the traction. I think we're, I think we're getting there. And... Uh... Yeah, I, I, I'm. We're it's it's on the the campaign is definitely on the, back. You know, it's g- heading towards home base, and we're we're like, you know, we're rounding third, <laughs> and we're just about there. So, um, it, nice. It, uh, Used a sports analogy today because apparently there's some big game on TV. So. I don't, what? All right. <laughs> sports. I, I don't know. Do I need to do a commercial with a? with like a dog on my head drinking beer or something i don't know uh <laughs> well yes okay now since you've offered richard i am definitely going to take yeah. you up on that. all right i'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll work on a commercial later <laughs> cool 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 great so for uh the brendan man uh what okay so i played some esoteric enterprises with my esoteric enterprises crew that game is really firing on all cylinders uh we had one of those we had one of those uh, sessions where um, some people made some plans. It was like kind of like they were doing like a Shadowrun footwork episode, and um, and then and then two two characters who are not often paired together decided to pair off and go do some footwork. And I don't want to say hilarity ensued because that sounds very kind of like twee, and I'm I don't, I don't I don't think I run like a twee game, but. They really got themselves in over their heads. They the 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 dynamic that happened between the characters created like a like in one of those snowballs of problems that you as GM are always kind of like salivating for because <laughs> <Yes>. they <laughs> they just line themselves up for all this horrible shit 
and then I was able to 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 initiate all these plot lines that I literally didn't think were going to happen for another two or three sessions, and um, like a tight Seinfeld episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like uh, now we're they're going to get to deal with the fallout from those things in the next couple of sessions instead, which will be much more exciting. And so I'm, dude, I just love my esoteric enterprises campaign. I love the players that play it. They're they're fucking super great guys um and and they do a lot for the show so uh uh i I, i'm always down to play esoteric enterprises um and then and then i've been kind of i kind of found myself piqued by uh soulbound from cubicle seven and so i'm gonna take a second and kind of sit here and pitch soulbound to people um let me just start by saying when this game was in development i thought it looked unbelievably bad okay and i would roast the shit out of it every time they'd post a a development like uh thing online i would always be like oh my god this is so stupid like they want you to play like a a tree man or something and like what the fuck am i supposed to be doing in this game this game just looks ridiculous it just looks really 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 stupid and so when it came out i was like waiting for the bad reviews i was like i'm waiting for the bad reviews so we can start doing memes, right? I want to meme the shit out of this. And then instead, it actually got really good reviews. And like, and, and it wasn't just like I heard one person say, oh, no, it's really good. And I knew that they were Age of Sigmar players or something. Because um, Soulbound is the Age of Sigmar uh, role-playing game from Cubicle 7 and Games Workshop. And, and, and if you're familiar with Age of Sigmar, it has kind of a turbulent little like past as to like, is this good? Is this complete shit? No one really knows, right? And they've and they've really been honing in over the last couple of years to try and make it like a fucking top tier property, and as it turns out, Soulbound is totally on point for taking AOS into a top tier property role playing game situation. It's got a fresh system. It's got a fresh in- environment to play in. It's got all kinds of great hooks. It's it's weird, yeah, but it's weird in a fresh, cool way. Like you, you don't. It doesn't feel silly. It feels like kind of bonkers, like more cockyian, in a way that you want to interact with. It doesn't feel kind of like um, we've seen in these OSR games where it's almost kind of like deliberately over the top. Like it's acid, Gonzo, Space Jam. It feels very earnest in what it is. And I, I gotta say, I'm fucking blown away by this book. I can't get enough of it. The release schedule for it looks is very aggressive and very hot. I want everything. I'm buying everything. I can't wait to fucking run Soulbound. And I didn't think I'd say that. I was like, like I was saying, I was getting ready for this thing to fucking trip and fall on its face. And I'd be like, the Simpsons, like, ha, ha. It, you know, that was that was my position. Yeah, the, I mean, the Discord is basically a stand for that game now. Like half the yeah. po- half the posts are about Soulbound, and the other half of the posts are about uh, <laughs> Age of Sigmar or whatever. So you know, yeah. I got I got my corners <laughs> of the I got my corners I haunt, but like <laughs> it's like uh, it, it's a fantasy game, okay. <laughs> If you really want to see how the worm has kind of turned on the perception of Age of Sigmar as a property, um, 
go on the Full Metal RPG Discord because I literally, I was making new channels and I was like, well, I'll put an AOS one in here because someone might want to use it. And it's like our most popular channel. Like it, people are really interested in AOS, not only from a game design standpoint, which they are doing very exciting stuff for that game in that studio, but also they're just super excited about the new material that's coming out of it. And, um, and that's exciting, man. That's an exciting place to be where Warhammer fantasy isn't essentially a nostalgia property. It's not some big nostalgia trip where everybody's just like whinging about like, is it as good as it was 10 years ago? And then here's a book that is a, a restatement of something from 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is fucking new shit. And, and for I, for one, I'm like all about it. I'm fucking here for it. So, I mean, you, enough about me. Yeah, you had go me ahead, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the reason you, I'm willing you, to try you, it. <laughs> yeah, because well, okay. So one of the things I always thought that was that made that was kind of uh, a stick in the mud about Warhammer Fantasy roleplay was that there was part of it that got a little bit too grim dark. And kind of, I don't want to say real, but it was a bit too grounded in Renaissance yeah. fantasy, right? And there, and it didn't have that kind of like, oh, you're sailing on a fucking blood ocean, and you go to the elf land, and it's like people living in dream pods and doing drugs and shit. It just, it, 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 it they kind of brought it down to a more, to somewhere between Moorcock and Tolkien, right? That was kind of like an understandable world, right? But uh, fucking um, Soulbound is just bonkers. It's like it's it's people who live in this weird fantasy alternate dimension where it's like literally you could go to an ocean that's made of blood or there's like a mountain that's made of skulls. And that's just the way it is. There's like the skull mountain. Right. And then people have to have a town at the base of the skull mountain and figure out their lives and how they live in this like deranged ecology. And so that in and of itself is interesting to me. But then when you put on top of it that there's these adventures that are going on, there's these fantasy adventures where it's like, oh, there's not not only do I live by the Skull Mountain in my village, but also there's orcs that live on the other side of the Skull Mountain and they're very angry and they've formed a raiding party and now they're coming from my village. Oh, I got to go find some like Magnificent Seven type fools to defend my village. And I'm like... Let's play that. That sounds that sounds great. I am I'm all in. I'm all in for Soulbound. I, I, I feel so. like the skull. I feel like the skull economy is very valuable in Warhammer properties because skulls are on everything. <laughs> like I, th I feel like that's well, like a a common object. You just have the skull shop that you just like go skull, to. The skull. <laughs> Skull inflation and Warhammer is out of control. Skull <laughs> of control. inflation. See, it's, 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 it's just the skull. Skulls are everywhere, so they're actually worth nothing. Right. Um, <laughs> but let's let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, which is Dune role playing. So uh, we have we have Caldoon on, and Caldoon, uh, I, I I I think I'm allowed to suggest that you may have uh, written for uh, a little bit of the Dune role playing. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, mostly uh, game master stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the the book and helped uh, yeah write it, and uh, I am writing on uh, you know future supplements for it. Fuck yeah! Now. Uh, Dune is a thing. It's like a it's a it's a sci-fi fantasy concept 
that if you've spent a lot of time in sci-fi fantasy and probably in role-playing, you've interacted with probably. It's it's one of those books that like if you're like a young male nerd, someone probably puts in your hand sometime around when they're doling out copies of Lord of the Rings or The Fountainhead or something. It's one Yikes. of those types of books. Yeah, you're, well, you're no, not, you're, unfortunately, you're not wrong, but... Like. <laughs> right? It's... It's one of these things that when you're entering into adolescence and you're sort of starting to form your worldview about how things work, there are people who are introducing you to this literature. And Dune is a big part of it for a lot of different different people. Um, and, and it has this kind of storied past where, you know, fucking David Lynch made a movie that was supposed to be on the coattails of the star Wars fad, but it's very weird. And it's also kind of like dark and perverse. And can you even understand it? And there's a director's cut and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff combined with like the Kevin J Anderson, like schlock novels that came out that were like ponying off of like, you know, Brian Herbert ponying off of his dad's like uh, literary legacy and so it's been around for a long time. And it's just so it's this kind of thing that role players have always kind of had on their minds when uh, access to Star Wars role playing game materials and Star Trek role playing game materials and Lord of the Rings role playing game materials have always been very readily on hand uh, in one form or another. Dune materials have not. There was the one kind of like abortive attempt that Watsi made to put one out. And uh, and then there's like a whole saga about why it didn't happen and whether that book's any good or not. My understanding is it's not very good at all. But now here we are in this new era of role playing as like a valuable way to express an IP. We have a new film coming out that uh, will kind of redefine how that that saga looks and feels visually. Um, and we have with it a new role playing game. So. Here's my question: Is is role playing in the world of Dune like the biggest, most awesome thing that could ever happen, or is it like, is it? Are we just gonna fall flat on our face? What do you What do you guys What do you guys think? React to me. I'm talking too much. <laughs> um, I I think it's one of those things that's sort of difficult, and I'm very interested to see what happens with the the new game. But um, I was just because I I we were talking about this a while ago, and I. I finally, I, I think I read Dune for the second time, and then I finally finished Dune Messiah. So, and then I watched the Lynch, and and I'm trying to fit player characters into this universe, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, mm, who are the player characters here? Because all these, no- I mean, I guess nobles. That's about the only thing I can think of. But that'd be very, di- it's very difficult to get nobles right. I think in a role playing game. And uh, I think that's happened in like, what was it? The Game of Thrones role-playing game and a couple other uh, systems, but it's not a mainstay of the genre. So I was just trying to think of how that would work out. But I could see them separating it kind of into houses, like kind of like clans or guilds they do in other role-playing games. Cause you have like, you know, house Harkonnen, Atreides, and you can have like the emperor, and the one that I thought would be really fun was Benny Jesseret. Like if they could do like a Benny Jesseret kind of house or guild or something like that would be cool because that was kind of the most interesting faction to me when reading and, you know, watching the movie and all of that. So I think, I think that would be interesting. Yeah. And Fremen, obviously. 
But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, because um, the um, a part of Dune is a, a role playing game. Uh, like one of the aspects is the political aspect, obviously, and uh, part of that is you know your house and who you serve, uh, building up your house and what that means. Whether you're you know uh, part of the one of the major houses like Harkonnen Artrades, Carino. Uh, or you belong to a minor house uh, that perhaps uh, isn't, you know, in the books. You just, you know, make it up uh, yourself. Uh, and that is basically the goals you're trying to um, accomplish and who that house uh, as a minor house is aligned with or under. Um, that will basically uh, dictate your, you know, the goals of your party uh, and, the you know, the resources and objectives you're trying to um, collect and, you know, hit. So uh, that that's that's always that was kind of um, I think part of the difficulty of writing a Dune game in the past, uh, and now I think that there are a lot more tools. Uh, like when we explain, you know, these kind of concepts of um, you know collecting resources and a power base, uh, those are concepts that gamers now are much more accustomed to and understand. And they did in the past. Like in the past, I feel like in the 80s, especially in the 90s, like the concept of you have a castle and, you know, you keep your shit there. Uh, even that was kind of, uh, you know, on shaky ground. There wasn't a lot of that kind of accounting bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. Now you have games like Blades in the Dark mm -hmm. where, you know, you're running whole neighborhoods and like you have like, you know, bars and, you know, weird businesses you run basically like marked down on a map. Um, so I feel that... Uh, is going to benefit from that in that it's going to have an audience, a gamer audience, that is not going to be confused by the idea of you know running and building a power base, um, and basically you know setting your own objectives, not just like now you know this module Skull Mountain, let's do that now. Yeah, you, well, and I the our our uh, two two audiences are so like we forgot to mention 40k, which I feel like took a lot from Dune. Uh, God emperors and, and yeah, whatnot. a little bit, just a just, just a tiny a, bit. Just a tiny <laughs> bit. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I think the story game kind of the the two you know starting with White Wolf, but into the more indie stuff later on, I think has really prepared the world for less combat in their RPGs. Which there's definitely combat in Dune, but there's right. like it's very either very short or like a war <laughs> like that he will go through in like a page like <laughs> so yeah. and it's done with yeah, if i had to compare um, but yeah i mean if i had to compare dune the rpg to an rpg that you know um i'd say like fading sun you ever you know played or read fading suns which is a sci-fi rpg which is very dune-esque was written and built by you know former white wolf uh writers um like it's very clear that their inspiration for that game was very you know dune heavy uh even though it's a much more kind of fantasy and space kind of game than dune is um like dune is very much a sci-fi game while fading suns is much more of a kind of you know uh fantasy and space game um that i feel is uh probably a, a good comparison to what uh, a dune game would be like um and that you could have you know you don't all have to be nobles you can be a you know cross section of uh this universe I, I feel part of the difficulty i guess in imagining a game as you were saying uh is right like star wars 
Like when the idea of a Star Wars RPG was originally introduced to me, I was like, "What? How would that even be fun? Like, there's nothing to do. Like, I've seen the movies and they do all the cool shit. Like, unless you're playing Luke or something, like, what are you right. doing? Like, it's like, what, you fix his X-wing before he blows up the Death Star. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound any fun. But you know, I've played. Yeah, yeah, I've played plenty of great Star Wars games where I play like a scoundrel or like a mechanic. Um, I feel part of it is. Um, once you have a book in your hand that can kind of expand the universe for you that's off the screen, you know, off that point of view, then you can imagine players and games that, you know, can be fun. Like just kind of existing now, within that universe rather than trying to play something that's from the book or the movie. I could see that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hoping, I guess, that the... Because... I understand that there's only so much that you can say about the game that is coming out. So, uh, and that makes perfect sense because the game is no doubt, uh, under some kind of license from the, uh, movie studio Correct. that yes. owns the rights <laughs> to the whole thing. And when, and when those guys, they, I'm, I'm sure that they have an ironclad NDA on it and they're like, they don't want anything coming out. They don't want any little squeaks. Right, because that's how movie studios are. They're very, they're very jealous of their, um, of their copyright and their IP. So I completely, completely right. understand. Yeah. Uh, so, so kind of just from the high level view of like, well, we're role players and we may or may not like Dune. Uh, somebody comes up to us and says, "Let's play fucking, let's play a fucking Dune role playing game." Right. Um, I think that the first thing I am going to think as a player is like. Well, shit, I hope you are the dude who like read all those fucking books at the end of the series uh, and then like his giant pile of notes, like Cimmerillion type shit, so that you know about some planets where there's something going on other than Arrakis, Desert Planet, because it seems to me like everything that's going on in Arrakis, Desert Planet has been pretty well spoken for. So, um, like, is 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 that an interesting idea for us as players is the world of dune so compelling that we're like oh yeah i'm playing in the world of the like imperium or whatever but i'm not on arrakis i don't i don't give a fuck about spice worms and shit like that like is that still interesting or could we just be playing anything else um first let me talk about just a, a quick thing about the nda which is um one of the reasons we're having, I feel, this almost golden age of RPGs is there's just such a hunger for content across all media now. And RPGs, like those things that we loved as kids or you know adults, are now part of that process. They're now being mined for that material. Um, I mean, Dune's not really, uh, you know, that's not a good example for Dune, but, you know, WAD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're seeing these other companies, you know, video game companies, movie companies coming into this space, this RPG space, it's kind of changing the way we operate. Like I, as a creator, traditionally, I'm used to being able to talk about the games I'm writing for and, you know, what's coming up and all that stuff in a very open, you know, transparent manner. So it's kind of very been strange for me to learn this new culture, this kind of video game producer movie, movie culture, which is, as you said, very secretive. Like they don't want you to talk about anything. Um, and so it can be difficult. Because that's just not the way, you know, I grew up in RPGs. Um, uh, and so, you know, it is what it is. 
Uh, you know, we're getting this new Dune game because of the movies. I mean, that's you know pretty clear. So I'm I'm happy to play by their rules. And in you know in Vampire uh, and other Wad Properties case, you know it's a you know video game company that you know owns the those licenses now. And you know they have very similar um, concerns. Like uh, you know when it comes to video games, they have some of the most you know strict policies on you know loose lips. Uh, but yeah, to answer your, your main point. Uh, well, yes, the books will definitely talk about other planets. Uh, and uh, I feel the books also convey um, the idea that uh, not everyone is focused on Arrakis or Worms or the Spice. Like, you can just look at our own world, you know, in a sense. In that uh, when uh, Herbert uh, wrote the books, he was trying to parallel oil and the environment and water. Um, using Spice and Arrakis as kind of a stand-in for that. And even in our own world... Not everyone is constantly thinking about Saudi Arabia or oil or, you know, how our cars run. You know, like, if people actually, like, sit down and think, it's very clear why we fight all these wars over there all the time and are constantly bombing, you know, the Middle East and trying to keep, you know, those people under our thumb is because our whole goddamn global economy runs on the shit. You know, mm -hmm. like, we can't, you know, food can't get to the supermarket unless the truck has gasoline in it and the gasoline... You know, is under the feet of people who, you know, we want to do, you know, we want them to do what we say. Um, so the entire global imperial structure of the economy is based upon controlling that section of the earth. But 99% of Americans don't think about oil, the Middle East, bombing Arabs at all, ever. Uh, you know, we've got our own shit to worry about. And that, I feel, is, you know, going to be reflected in the game like you never have to deal with a raucous or the spice or think about those you know big picture items if you don't want to you know you've got your own problems to deal with and chances are you're not rich or powerful enough to you know have a slice of the chome <laughs> so you know spice, spice yeah. right yeah spice is out of your league like you you know you better be i don't know smuggling androids or some shit <laughs> Are there androids and shit? Do we have that? Uh, well, I mean, you can. One, because you're talking about, like, you know, Ixian and, you know, forbidden AI. So if you're dealing in that, then, you know, you've got a whole other problem. Well, that's actually fucking cool. Well, you kind of got me. Now I'm thinking, like, like uh, if there's opportunities to, like, interact with the greater... Like universe and oh, the yeah. greater Galaxu and the X and all that, of, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, that's, you know, that's good to hear. Like, I mean, because I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at the, the product and I'm thinking, well, like, what is it that they really want to get into here? Is this going to be basically some kind of like shadow run thing where it's like, you know, you, you're playing Atreides guys and then you got to go to Giddy Prime and, like, blow up an oil drum or something to, you know, like, like I, you know, I mean, is it, you know, like, or, or do I get to do real shit? Do, like, like, what's my, what, what agency do I have as a player to tell my own stories? Or am I kind of, because, because some of these property games can be very on rails, right? Like, yes. I, I, I don't know if hmm. I've, like lectured the cult about this enough, but um, the Wheel of Time <laughs> role playing game that came out was like was unbelievably heavy handed. 
It was it was like a game that basically said like, well, here's this, all these signature characters, and here's their stats, and just please don't get in their way. Because any, <laughs> if you've read the books, you know what they're going to do, and they're still going to do it. You're not going to do it. You need to just kind of the big privilege you get by playing wheel of time. The role-playing game is to be around them while they are doing it. And I thought that that was one of the most unrewarding, um, role-playing, <coughs> excuse me, role-playing experiences I'd ever had. It just really, it was really bothersome. Interesting. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just, okay. uh, well, I mean, I was just going to say, I think, the reason that we still have Star Wars today is because of West End Star Wars and the expanding the universe and getting to the point where you can do novel. Anybody can do a Star Wars novel. I think Dune has and and Star Wars is heavily Dune is one of those Ur things. It's everything almost is taken from it. Star Wars, you know, Tatooine is uh, you know the shithole version of Dune. It has no water, sure. has no water and no resources. It just <laughs> um, and I think what I think what what will make this is having because. That's do the one book Dune is very tightly focused on the Atreides. I think having the different houses represented and ha- having the other fights. Also, my question is whether you have it before or after the jihad. That's that would be like a huge difference before or after the jihad because the the before times you've got all these old structures and you're you're working with. Uh, these different houses and stuff like that. You're trying to figure out, you know, just eke out. And then after Jihad, you have this like billions and billions of people have died. And there's just this flaming war across the universe. So, you know, what, where that, where it's set will be very much an interesting background. So I think there, there is meat there. It's just because some of us haven't read the 20, 20 novels or 30 novels. I don't know how many Frank Herbert's right. son did. There's, a, there's, a, there's like, I think eight, I think eight were Frank Herbert and they get, kept getting weirder and weirder and weirder. And then, uh, and then Brian and Kevin J Anderson, like churned out like just, Oh my God, just massive reams of again, kind of like what we were saying in the pre-show, like a uh, grocery store level novels that were like, they definitely did not have the sort of tooth to them that the Herbert work did. So, and I certainly don't want to fucking read all that shit, you know, like, uh, really hope that there's, that we're going to get something that will give us a perspective on like where this game can take place. That isn't like Arrakis or Giddy prime, you know, it looks like there are 11 books. I just Googled it. Just see. Wow. Well, we- <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of books. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read all those books. I mean, I I have read um, the main ones. My favorite is God Emperor uh, by a long shot. Um, though though Chapter House definitely has uh, you know some very interesting stuff in there, and in my opinion, is probably really the kind of um, in some sense it's almost the conclusion uh, of the series in a real sense. Um, like it could have ended it there, um, you know, very easily, and it would have been just fine. Um, without any uh, further plugging in, I mean, I don't know how much I can really say other than you're going to have several. You're going to have a lot of options for where you're going to sit. Uh, there was definitely some concern about, um, I guess, giving away too much of the movie in a sense. 
mm. uh, in the RPG. Uh, so I can say that you will have all the information you will need to um, play the game in an era that's best suited for you, even if that's earlier than uh, is presented in the movies um, or, or, or later. So um, you're gonna you're gonna have some you're gonna have some options there, yeah. To me, to me, that's like some tremendous lulls. That uh, there's this notion that there would be spoilers, like in the in the book. I, over I know, like a like a book that's been out for like 50 years or something, <laughs> and, I, the, and that they um, like had an incredibly successful film in the 1980s. It had Sir Patrick Stewart in it, no less, with a pug. <laughs> holding a pug yeah that's uh, the best part <laughs> they held a pug into battle yeah, awesome. was... <laughs> yes. i mean i don't know how successful that lynch film was uh commercially but it was definitely uh you know a landmark film um oh, sure. so, you, so you, yeah there's no so, so you're right the idea of spoilers is a little crazy but you know i uh yeah. i'm uh, we're we're operating in a, in, in a crazy world now i mean yeah it's yeah, not cause no the doubt. idea because i mean um uh, I guess that's all I can really say there. But there, there will be opportunity, and the we tried our best when writing the book to present a kind of um, ever present now, I guess, um, mm-hmm. so that we didn't want to prejudge where you wanted to, um, you know, set your game. But there is an there is an assumed default. Yes, that that is true. Uh, and getting in the way of the main characters or like statting out all the main characters or anything like that was definitely not. Um, not anyone's concern like you know well that that's that sounds good i do yeah. like that like there as, uh, as, as far as i remember it was I didn't, I didn't see anything where it's like help paul atreides like get a cup of water from the well so <laughs> he's not thirsty when he you know defeats the army oh like no that, that, that oh, adventure does be, not oh exist. my god oh like your whole adventure is is just some big like like paul takes down his hood and he looks you and says thanks for your help bro now now <laughs> i'm gonna go have a real i have played that star noob. wars adventure unfortunately yeah <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's like yeah terrible. you sound the distress signal so luke shows up <laughs> <sighs> oh god all right well okay so i have one question from our cultists and then i have uh i have my own question i have at least one um and then and then um, maybe uh uh richard and ashley have some questions as well well i think we're going to try and keep this away from sort of like technical details about the game uh and more maybe we'll kind of talk about like some of the some of like the philosophical that kind of soft core philosophies stuff however i will say that our um question from our cultist is definitely a uh technical question and so feel free to navigate this how you want okay uh, okay, I'll do my do my best. So the homie Meepor from the Discord asks, uh, for Dune, what's going to be differentiating players in terms of classes and roles? Any radical changes compared to other Modiphius game systems? So that is the question. I will leave it to you to decide where you can comment on that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't know that many other Modiphius game systems other than Vampire. I don't know if I actually own anything other than Coriolis, which I think is actually technically a freely game, not really a Modiphius game. Um, yeah, that's right. I think I think he's yes. talking about specifically the 2D20 games, like the uh, like probably Star Trek Adventures and uh, Conan. Because 
Because am, am I right that uh, the Dune game is based on the 2D20 yeah, engine? Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, it definitely follows the molds of that. Uh, I think the main difference is probably um, the party objectives and, you know, dealing with, uh, I guess, who, what your power base is, uh, whether it's uh, a minor house or whatnot, and what you're going to be building up to and for uh, for that power base. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but basically the idea would be that you'd be working for a house, whether minor or major, uh, and doing um, doing things to, in, in the case of a minor house, basically build your rep uh, so that you know you could be a, a major player. Uh, so I don't I don't think it, um, from my knowledge of two D twenty, I don't think it divorces too strongly from the basic gameplay. And um, you will be able to play as, yeah, the kind of um, signature character types that are in the uh, Dune books. Uh, I think people who want to play... Um, Mentat? Mentat? Yeah, Mentat? Betty, Betty Jesserit or a Mentat, they will have those... Um, they'll have those uh, those options, I guess is the best way to put it. Cool. Sweet. Uh, if you don't mind this follow-up, so, will gameplay that makes it so, like, say we're all Benny Gesserit, right? The whole cast is Benny Gesserit, or the whole cast is Sodakar terror troopers, right? Hmm. Uh, is there will there be nuance and distinction in character creation that will allow us to do in like very themed uh, games, or will it be almost a role situation where it's like, well, we're gonna want a Benny Gesserit because they can do this, and then we're going to want a noble because they can do this, and then we're going to want a fighter guy, oh. a Gurney Halleck guy, because they can do no, this. No, yeah. That, 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 yeah, that's not a concern. Like, you won't be like, okay. well, they're playing the Benny Jesserit, so I, I won't, or you know, a group of Benny Jesserits are all going to be the same, or, uh, oh, we need at least one cleric. I, I mean Benny Jesserit in the group. <laughs> uh, like it's, it, yeah, it's not, it's, not built like, it's not built like that. Uh, it's definitely okay. it's it's very much a um, I don't know if buffet is the best way to put it, but there's definitely a, a pick and choose uh, quality that lets you um, you know build the character you want to build, uh, and um, I think thematically that is yeah that's going to be up to the the, the storyteller uh, when it comes right down to it. As far as like an all Benny Jesserit game, I I definitely could see an all Benny Jesserit crew like rolling around. In all Sadukar Terror Trooper game, <coughs> that um, that might take some tweaking um, and might be better for like a one shot. But I would be very interested to see that as a campaign. I mean, I mean, now that you mention it, I, I, I could I could start piecing it together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it's not uh, it's not okay, an idea that right. would actually come to me. But yeah, I, I think all Benny Jesserit would be cool just because of the fact that they all kind of hate each other. So it, you would have like the, you know, conflict and everything, even within all of them being that. Oh, right. I, I, I second that. I if second you're working that for a, yeah, if you're working for a power base, trying to mm -hmm. accomplish objectives, um, then even if you are doing individual missions over a long period of time, mm -hmm. like if you structure the adventure that way, I, I feel that that could work very well, actually. Uh, especially given that Penny Chesterett. Oh, right. Well, of course. I mean, because their power center would still be, you know, the Benny Jesserit or some subsection mm -hmm. or faction of the Benny Jesserit. 
Um, yeah. And then the time scale of the adventure could be, I mean, now we're basically just planning on an adventure. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be cool. It's kind of what we do. I got a couple of questions. I'm going to kind of move into a little bit what you might call more like hardball territory. Okay, so this is going to be kind of like, these are, not the, these are not like the cushiest questions. So my first question is, and this is, and this is specifically to you, Khaldun. Okay. Okay. The next one will be kind of to the group. All right. But to, but how, what I will say is that in, in those of us who are part of the sort of like RPG underground, right. And we know, we know people and we hear things, right. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be straight early word on Dune has not been good. There have been people who have had interactions with the game and they've been like, and they're all like, I can't say anything, but all I can say is when the game comes out, you're not going to like it. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I haven't seen the game, but it, I'm, it's concerning. What, okay. like, what, what can you say to put my mind at ease? Because I see the cover and I want to fucking buy it. Of course, I want to be excited for it. What can you tell me that makes me think to myself, this is something that I'm I'm looking forward to on the release schedule, and not something that my eyebrow is like, like 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 I'm arching my eyebrow at you, Dune game. You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess I can only take uh, you know comfort in what happened with Soulbound. I guess uh, so. <laughs> Maybe sure. you'll take over your Discord server. Uh, well, I mean, for my part, as I said. My writing on the book was in the game mastering section, so the um, 2D20 character creation, all that was, uh, you know, I can't take any credit for it. Uh, so I, I read it, and it looked playable and interesting to me. Uh, as I said, my experience with the 2D20 games is uh, pretty limited, um, but I think if people like the 2D20 game and concept, that this is going to fit naturally uh, within that. And that the only real, uh, well, I shouldn't say only real, that the main major addition to this game is, uh, you know, giving you the tools to you know, play in the political dimension, uh, which is very important um, in any kind of Dune game. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say if unlike Star Wars, but it definitely wasn't a focus of Star Wars. When you played a Star Wars game, uh, there was no way to really rate your impact on, like, the rebel alliance or anything like that but you know this right. game will have those tools for that is the i feel the major addition yeah i think this is an interesting segue because this kind of gets into my next kind of like like let's let's be real here let's be kind of candid and this is a this is a conversation for the group that i'd like to have and it's yeah. i mean i don't i don't get paid if any more if it does well and any less if it does <laughs> uh, worse as a freelancer so i i have no incentive to bullshit you uh, i can just say that it, it from what I saw and wrote for it, it looked good. And all well, I have to here, say about that is, is that it... nerds hate what they love. Like, you're always going to have people, especially with a property like Dune, where there's people that are really passionate about it. They're going to hate anything that comes out about it. So, oh, yes. Sure. I, I, I got death rate death threats over mummy rule so you know it's it's yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I, a game I, that like maybe 10 people play. Yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> I'm glad that you got death threats over something so important as the fact right. that mummy you wrote mummy rules that somebody didn't like. My God, what's yeah. going on? Internet, oh. I'm looking at you. I'm putting you on blast. Get your <laughs> house together. Anyway, um, 
I'm so still, I think, I'm still here. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, clear, clearly, clearly, nothing happened. Clearly, this is a slow burn. On yeah, the, I guess the, he wasn't a Navy Steel of- after all. um all right all right so so i think you've brought something really interesting here about the politics in in dune and the fact that it's going to be something that is role played especially when you compare it to star wars which is another game where it's like oh there's all this political shit going on and to be totally honest in star wars it's very kind of nebulous and if you start breaking it up it doesn't actually make any fucking sense like Like, oh, there's a fucking parliament that is, like, making a robot army that's going to go fight in one corner of the universe, but then they're also going to make a clone army that's going to go fight in the other corner of the universe, and that's going to somehow cause the, the desolation of the parliament. Like, what? Like, that doesn't even sound like a real plan. Um, so, so, so Star Wars politics are already so abstract that nobody wants to interact with them. They want to interact with something that's much more real and tangible. Like, Oh, a hut is going to break my fucking knees. If I don't give him drugs, you know what I'm saying? You can understand that that's real. Uh, Dune, I think has the potential to be a bit more accessible because it is kind of a bit more postmodern and realistic in a certain way. But one of the things that comes with it is a lot of like bullshit, right? Like uh, it's a game that is sort of on some level. And this is something we were talking about in our SMS group is that it's like steeped in a lot of like bullshit E shit. You know, it's, there's a lot of like white dude power fantasy in Dune. There's a lot of like, like empire is a valid and like, um, uh, uh, legitimate form of like leadership and rule. Uh, there's a lot of kind of like, um, like imperialism for capitalism is uh, is like going to be is like baked into the setting and is like obviously kind of like I I can only imagine will be part of gameplay. Uh, like how much like if we're playing this game like can we play it in a way that is not just kind of some kind of like <clears throat> uh, I don't know like right-wing exploration of um colonialism like is does dune have to be a game of colonial colonial uh uh oppression is it is it or, or is that just what the game is about um well that's a great question uh and that definitely hits upon a section that i helped write for the the core book yeah um because for right me on. that is yeah yeah i mean so Dune, as I see it as a book, is a critique of all that. I mean, it presents it to you in a very bold, um, plain way that, you know, global houses, but what are they really? They all are participants in this shareholding company that exploits resources from this colonized planet where the people there get zero benefit from the resources being extracted and are, in fact, brutalized and oppressed. Um, so that these resources can be extracted in the most efficient possible manner to, you know, further oppress and, you know, uh, the galaxy and, you know, these imperial concerns. Um, and that the... In, in fact, that colony is actually used as a game piece. And this is one of the very first things we, we see in the novel and we hear in the movie, is that that, that uh, colony is a white elephant that can be moved around uh, as, as, as a weapon, if, it, if necessary, to uh, exalt some or to destroy others. And I don't think anybody wants their fucking home to be treated that way. So anyway, go ahead. Please continue. Oh, yeah. I mean... Right, so... 
in the in the original books, I feel that it it is the idea is it for it to be a critique, and in the original books, um, even the uh, protagonist is is basically a critique on the whole idea of a protagonist. Like, uh, not to spoil anything, but Paul Moadib, <laughs> Paul Atreides, um, is you know is not the good guy. I mean, on some levels, he's almost the Hamlet figure. Because uh, on some levels, uh, and I feel that this is some of the stuff that uh, Star Wars really kind of really poached heavily from Dune uh, with Luke Skywalker, which is you know Luke Skywalker you know wins by deciding not to fight, and Paul Moadib basically loses when he decides, well, my revenge and my, you know, personal ego is worth, you know, uh, a, a, genes- a galactic genocide. Like, he, he sees the future and decides that, okay, th- it'll be worth it. And he knows the final outcome of, you know, his heroing is going to be, you know, the death of billions and billions, if not trillions and trillions of people all over the galaxy. Um, and that he doesn't have the, you know, strength to uh, you know, do what needs to be done to you know really solve the problems uh, that falls to you know to his son, uh, who has a novel way of solving things. Um, so I feel that doing the books is a critique on the basic premises of you know heroes uh, and how to solve problems in the world uh, and even capitalism. But uh, I feel that you are correct that when you play in a universe. Um, even if that original intent was as a critique, uh, there's a very real chance of falling into the two-dimensional space of the narrative as presented to you. Uh, like, say, in 40K, uh, where it could be very easy to fall into the mindset that, oh yeah, this, is, this makes sense. This is a well-functioning system. Oh, praise the undead fucking emperor. Like, you know, you can fall into that trap. Uh, well, of course it makes yeah. sense that we kill all the mutants and aliens and that we build super soldiers, which are as alien to humans as any goddamn Eldar, go and do that. Like, you know, these you know, giant fucking men with, you know, exoskeleton skin, you would never allow to, like, just live on a human planet. Like, we just send them out into space to, like, exterminate anything different than humans when they're far more different than humans than any other alien we've encountered. Um, and, and we see we see this at the end of the Lynch film, right? And it's like and it's like Paul's holding his Chris knife up to the air, and it's raining on him. And we get these like we got this like these power chords in the background. It's like, nah, nah, yeah. nah, nah. you know, and you're like, and all the and all the Fremen are like, "Fuck yeah, we're gonna fuck over this fucking empire so hard now." And you're and and there's this and there's this feeling like. Yeah, man, that empire fucking sucked. The emperor needs to get it. The Harkonnens need to get it. Now they're gonna get it, and it's like, yeah, but Paul is just being the new emperor. He's just right. he's 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 obliterated the system by recreating the system with himself. You know what I'm saying? And then and then of course in the subsequent books, we see what fuckery that becomes, and and we see his own kind of feelings about like how that has played out. But like. W- when we're gaming at the table, like how are we going to interact with that? You know, like are are we going to well, be like that, oh, that is partly uh, you know that that's a twofold process. Like a that's a meta process. Like you have to have that conversation with your players because there's going to be stuff in the game master section that discusses that. It discusses you know the position of the fremen um, and that their position is basically a colonial position. It discusses 
you know, what the importance of the spice is galactically and uh, what, you know, an imperial empire, like, must do to keep itself running. Like, it discusses those things. Um, and it also discusses, um, I mean, uh, and nothing's final. I mean, obviously, I've written things and they've been submitted and, you know, what ends up on the cutting room floor, you never know. But definitely, there's a discussion about um, the trap of prescience. Know that which is a very important part of the the Dune mythology, which is when you see what's I going. I think that that's cool as fuck. Yeah, when you see what's going to happen suddenly, like when you just like Schrodinger, once you open the box, you decide reality. Whether the cat is dead or alive comes real once you look in the box, and that's Paul's forever trap. That's a trap of anything with prescience, and prescience is a major uh, part of the game, whether you're Paul or not. Like the Benny Jesuit deal in that um, all the time. Which is Ooh, once you—that's intriguing as well. Fun. Yeah, once you look into the future, that is the future you're going to have. So you have to decide, you know, how important it is to you to see the outcome before it happens, because you may lock yourself into an outcome that you do not wish. Um, and that's part of Paul's problem, uh, and eventually um, his son's problem, um, Leto the second. Uh, and that is a very interesting subject to uh, role play around, uh, but that's more of a metaphysical issue, yes, mm-hmm. less of a political capitalism issue, I guess. Uh, but, but but right, you you have we, to we walk out the game, brain. and we can and we can see like like I'm just gonna be bummed if I buy the game and then all of a sudden it's like uh, you get like bonus points for making more money, right? And you get bonus points for like killing your enemies, but th- there's no blowback for other things. There's no consequence. Like, there's no sense of what the context is. Does that make sense? Oh, or, I, or am I just blathering? Oh no, that that makes complete sense to me. I mean, it, you know, you can't um, dictate or control what happens to the table. Obviously. Uh, I hope that yeah. you know we've provided enough tools and context that you know you can play the game you want to play and that you can play the game that you feel Dune deserves. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, when I play a game of D&D, I'm not upset if I can't, you know, talk about Marxism or something, right? I mean, there's there's certain things that I expect from a D&D game that I might not expect um that I don't expect from a D&D game, that I do expect from, say, a Star Wars game. If I play a Star Wars game and there's no context for the morality of Dark and Light Side, then that's not a Star Wars game for me. That's not gonna be, I'm not going to be able to express what I want out of that game in a sense that I feel is real for Star Wars. Um, and with Dune, I feel if you can't talk about um, exploitation... And you can't talk about, you know, the damage of exploitation on people and the environment. Um, then you're not really talking about Dune. And I, I feel that uh, there are systems and advice in place to, you know, to allow that allow you to play those games. Awesome. Richard, what are your thoughts, man? I feel like I'm top dominating. Well, no, I mean, it's a fascinating conversation. So, I, But this is, you know, when I first when I first interfaced with Dune and I interfaced with Dune much later than it wasn't one of my er science fiction things that I read when I was in high school or whatever. Um, when I first read it, I didn't, I mean, I was like, I kept reading and it was like, man, Paul's kind of a shithead. 
mm-hmm. and, 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 <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. like, why do why do people like this? I mean, like, and reading it again, I was like, okay, I understand the critique, but I'm glad that there is a section in the in the GMs uh, to talk about this because I think that's. Otherwise, I think the trap is so sweet and so easy, and that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of D&D and a lot of other games fall right into the imperialist uh, kind of trap is, like, we don't talk about this before the game actually happens. It's like, look, there's the, there are these forces in this world, and they're not good. <laughs> Let's talk about that first before we start playing this game, because we know... Doing, you know, we have to decide whether we're how, what kind of, um, what we're going to do around this table, <laughs> where it's right. what, yeah. It, I mean, but I was go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, for me, I saw the movie when I was a kid, uh, around when it first came out. In fact, um. And then uh, I read the books much later in life. I actually read um, – what did I read? I, I actually had read Dune as a teenager, I think. It didn't make a major impact on me. There was another book actually called um, The Prize by Daniel Juergen, which is actually uh, about the history of oil um, that I read several times in high school that uh, for me, once I read that, then Dune made so much more sense to me. Like once I read the prize, then suddenly I was able to be like, oh, and I was suddenly able to reflect on Dune in a completely different way when originally it only hit me as um, a sci-fi book originally. And then I read, um, yeah, God Emperor of Dune much later, and that really, I felt, was a revelation. It was such a, such a wonderful book. Um, so for me, I, I agree that you have to talk about it um, uh, at the table. But more importantly, um, the idea of you know, what Paul represents, whether as a protagonist or antagonist, or something in between is its own conversation that you don't necessarily have to have at the table, but I feel <clears throat> once the game master has an idea or a sense of it, he understands what the player's actions can mean uh, in a Dune setting. Because really, I feel there are two critiques of Paul. One critique is that he's uh, you know, a white savior. It's one critique I hear, which uh, isn't one I particularly agree with, um, because Paul isn't really uh, a savior. I mean, he is uh, a kind of like a charismatic manipulator. Um, he uses uh, other pe- another people's culture against them, in a sense, to manipulate them to get what he wants and what he needs. But he's not really saving anyone except himself. But didn't, um, didn't the Benny Jesuits set him up? Like, they literally, they set up whoever they were going to choose as the Kwisatz Haderach and, and set and they they literally dropped the Benny Jesuit on all these planets to like seed their myths onto them as okay. And then if a Benny Jesuit needed help, they would literally go, "That guy's the savior, and <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna save us." Yeah. So that's how that was like yeah. that. I think that's where the white savior thing right. comes in. Is it's like, but also he is this oh. powerful person coming to this place to save it. Right, because that's what they're pretending to do. You know, they're saving their own ass, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the mission the mission Practiva stuff. Right. Where the Bene Gesserit seed like these myths 
Um, and yeah, originally the Fremen were like Zen Sunni um, pilgrims who settle on Arrakis. Um, so they kind of right seed their own myths into the Zen Sunni beliefs, and right any Benny Jesuit in trouble could you know make use of those myth seeds uh, for themselves. And Paul takes that obviously a step beyond uh, with his own charisma and prophetic powers um, to you know wield the the Fremen as a weapon. Um, so I mean. The thing is, is that he doesn't actually save the Fremen. Like, I feel that to be a white savior, you actually have to save the Fremen. Uh, in a sense, he destroys them. Um, and he knows he's going to destroy them. Uh, he says, like, you know, uh, by the time of God Emperor of the Doom, the Fremen don't even know how to wear, you know, uh, the suit anymore. Uh, you know, they couldn't survive in the open desert anymore. They've been so, you know, corrupted. Uh, and obviously, Arrakis has been so deeply changed. Um, so, in a sense, he destroys Fremen culture, and he knows he's going to, uh, and he just needs them for his purposes. And the jihad is kind of a strange thing because he presents it as a um, you know side effect or a problem that arises uh, from his actions. When in actuality, it seems to me that it must be um, you know a necessity. Like without the jihad, he wouldn't be the emperor. Like, as pat as it is as, oh, I just posed the old emperor and married uh, his daughter, so now I'm emperor. Like, I bet half the galaxy is going to be like, fuck that. <laughs> I guess we don't have an emperor anymore. <laughs> so you send the fucking Fremen out, and you, you know, teach them a lesson. Right, but the, but they, uh, but Herbert, like, literally, like, cuts that entire reason kind of that, that reason you have to figure that yourself because in in between Dune and Dune Messiah, like it's like yeah, the Jihad happened. It's still kind of happening, but it's mostly over. All right, we're gonna get, go on with the game of houses, and uh, you know we've got this conspiracy happening, which I think the conspiracy is totally good fodder for the for a role playing game, uh, having people like from different factions like embedded in different places to try and do a thing. Um, what was the, what was your, what was the other critique that you, you were, you hadn't, that I interrupted you before you got to, <laughs> we got the white savior and then. Oh, um, oh, uh, well, um, I, I wouldn't say critique, but, uh, that he's a villain. Like one, one critique is right. That he's a white savior. And the other one, which I guess I more fall in line with, uh, is that he's not actually, you know, the hero at all. And in, in many senses, he is the, you know, the villain of the story. Um, and he kind of fulfills that hero's journey <laughs> much faster than Luke does uh, in Star Wars. And that, you know, he kind of starts the, the book. He starts as the victim. He moves on to the protagonist for a very short slice uh, of the book. Basically, by the time he's meeting the Fremen, um, his protagonist arc basically ends once he all but displaces Stilgar as the leader. Then he's basically an antagonist throughout the rest of the book because he's really the power. Uh, in the book until he finally is victorious over his enemies and then the jihad happens. Like, I mean, if you think about what a villain wants to do in any plot line, if I told you, okay, these are what, these are the goals, the ultimate outcomes of these people's actions. If I said, oh yeah, and this guy murders half the universe. Well, you'd be like, well, that's the bad guy, right? That's the hero mm -hmm. of the book. No, he's the one who does the stat. Yeah. So, for, so for I, me, I, I it, think, yeah. Yeah, like uh, the sort of will to power kind of right. um, message that comes from the book. And then this kind of like implicit, like uh, 
oh, well, if you want to be the Messiah, you better be the noble first, you know, like, and, yeah. uh, you know, like, there's this kind of, it's, it's this Excalibur kind of thing, you know? Um, that stuff doesn't sit well with me, uh, and I think that we're just in an era where people are, I mean, I don't know, one of the stated objectives of this show at this point is that we're trying to get people to think about this stuff more while they are role-playing. Uh, you know, we're, we're engaged actively in the process of deconstruction, and there's, like, a lot of, like, rightists and stuff who think that deconstruction is, like, inherently harmful. And that, 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 that I, don't, I don't understand that idea that, like, that you don't want to, like, read a text and examine it and break it down and see what the subtextual ideas are and understand what the subjects like to me, that's to to me to say that that is a destructive act is to claim like willful ignorance. But, um, we are definitely engaged in the act of like role playing deconstruction, which is, well, what are we really doing? You know, like, are we, are we playing like a role playing game? That's about what's it about? And like, what is our relationship to the subject matter? like while we are playing it, you know, like are we the chosen ones because we were born into some fucking house and we get to wear medals and shit or like, are we oppressors because we want to steal spice and fucking sell it for money? I mean, what does all of this mean? You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge, um, I love Edward Said and I've read many books by Edward Said and, uh, you know, I would consider myself, um, you know, a, a student of Edward Said and, uh, his books, you know, Orientalism and um, uh, what is it? Um, um, what is it? Ends of Empire or some such, where he basically deconstructs books uh, like by Jane Austen, uh, like Pride and Prejudice, and you know, not to mention you know Heart of Darkness by uh, Conrad, uh, which is the basis of Apocalypse Now. Um, he really talks about about that, and I, I think it is important to deconstruct text and stories, uh, and he deconstructs fiction. Uh, Saeed, that's really his claim to fame, uh, and why he's you know such a such a huge impact and kind of invented um, the whole idea of deconstructive literature. Uh, in that, you know, stories shape our lives and how we see the world uh, now and in the future. Uh, and when we read something like Pride and Prejudice or Jane Eyre, and you know we see these vic- rich Victorian people, but we don't discuss the fact those castles and rich clothes are all provided by, you know, the work of slaves. Uh, we miss something. Uh, and it's important to, you know, deconstruct the text and to understand that. Um, like in Jane Eyre, he has a wife that's like locked in an attic who's, you know, uh, even though the text doesn't really point it out, is assumed to be half black because she's from the West Indies and he married her for her money and all that money came from the slave and sugar trade. Uh, so, like we can read those books, and the word slavery never appears once in any of those texts. But that is the underlying um, economy that created, you know, this rich Victorian era. Era, like when you watch something like uh, Bridgerton, uh, the cast is um, a multi-hued cast, uh, but they're in the Victorian era. So I mean, it's um, that is part of the juxtaposition of what they're talking about. There is. Uh, is that the the money and the riches, the empire is you know built on the black backs of black people and brown people, uh, and from reading the text without deconstruction, you, you would never know that. Uh, and Dune can have you know a similar message, if not for the subtext implanted by the author, 
was his intent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You right. would get this. Right. It, it was definitely Herbert's intent. Uh, it wasn't, you know, hi- you know, hidden. It wasn't subtext. I, I feel it was text. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100. percent And I think that on some level, we discussed Warhammer and Warhammer being a direct kind of descendant of Dune. And I think that we've got a real problem in the Warhammer community. It's very obvious. Yes. Uh, from the, the the sort of media personalities that have occurred online, that uh, that that, that War, Warhammer has a problem with people who are unable to deconstruct it and to see the social satire and to see the critique, and they it's take one of the problems like, of satire in general. Yeah, right, right, and they take it at face value as being like, oh, well, this is just a game about like cool fascists, man. Like, and uh, and I hope that when we roleplay Dune and that when people roleplay Dune and they get this book in their hands is that they're able to see kind of like and that they're able to roleplay this as, as again, a critique of our current world, a critique of like late stage capitalism, a critique of empire and uh, uh, environmental collapse. Yeah. And that they don't just see it as like, oh, no, this is a great game about like, uh, like I was born into a swell life. And that means I get to put people under my boot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because well, there are some. I mean, um, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I guess I, I have a few things to say about that, which is uh, right. It is funny that satire is often taken at face value and you get lots of stupid takes uh, because of that. And a lot of kind of like, you know, Randian um, shitheadedness because of that. Uh, and I find that doubly hilarious since. Uh, Spartans and Romans, you know, two peoples that are infinitely, um, you know, supposed to be mimicked by, you know, right-wing people, were supposedly some of the most sarcastic people on the planet. They invented the word sarcasm. You know, Spartans were known to be laconic, which exactly means saying something but meaning the opposite. So it just, you know, humors me so much that the people so immune to sarcasm are the same people who wish to be Spartans. Like, they wouldn't have survived, you know, uh, one moment of having a conversation with a Spartan because, you know, they would have taken everything at face value. And, uh, and on the other end, as far as, you know, having to be a noble, um, you know, Jessica, the concubine of Leto Atreides, um, who supplies, you know, uh, part of the genetic component that is required for the Kwisatz Haderat to arise, uh, is, you know, basically, a, a, you know, a concubine, is a, a mistress, and she is basically described as coming from no particular good genetic stock uh, except for, you know, the Harkonnen bit that has snuck in. So that's to mix the two bloodlines. Um, but I do agree at face value, it is very much the, you know, nobles uh, coming together. Not to mention the fact that, though I don't think this was Herbert's intent, I think Herbert Kind of um, like that, a Kwisatz Haderat, this ultimate messiah being, could only be a male. Uh, I think it was partly Herbert's kind of imperfect understanding of genetics at the time. Like he was kind of taking this like XXXY thing in a very literal fashion. So for him, um, the only, the reason that the Kwisatz Haderat had to be a male is because of the Y chromosome. So, you know, he got the X chromosome and all the genetic memory of all the X chromosomes line from, you know, his mom. And he got the Y chromosome, which is all the male genetic memory from um, his father. So the idea that there could be a woman who would have a Y chromosome was a scientific idea, which seemed beyond belief for Herbert. Um, even though nowadays we know that just, you know, it's not the case. Um 
That's fascinating. I mean, one of the ways that kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, I, I was actually recently listening to a podcast where they were talking about it was a, a science fiction novel that had been written by a uh, actual scientist and that he was like a contemporary of Hawking. And uh, he thought that Hawking with Big Bang was like full of shit. So he like wrote into the novel like these little digs at Hawking of like, you know, only only someone who is very behind in their studies would think this stuff. And so it's, it's interesting I would, how I would never do that as an RPG writer. <laughs> I, I, I think it's i think it's interesting when scientists and science fiction kind of you know meet up and we get to see kind of you know maybe some ideas that were being explored and that didn't work and ideas that did um at this point we i feel like we've had a really valuable discussion i feel like this has been a really zesty one um ashley is there anything that you'd like to add that you haven't been able to i don't want to feel like you're being run over here no, um, I fully agree that Paul Atreides is the bad guy. Uh, when we were talking about it in our group, he has been raised so his head is so far up his ass, he's using his own saliva as hair gel. And so when he gets to the point where he becomes the Kwisatz Haderach, the, uh, whatever, yeah, that guy. Universal super being. That guy, yeah. Um, he does become this unfeeling monster where he has this this great purpose that he has to fulfill and he does not give a fuck who is hurt because of it or who gets in his way it is all he does use the fremen as a complete weapon to accomplish what it is that he feels like he needs to do so um yeah i definitely i don't i just want it to be known that i agree he's a villain i don't like him um and with maybe a little bit of the white savior messiah complex thrown in there because i only got through the first book i haven't gotten to the god emperor or anything like that yet so um I don't feel like it was quite as obvious early on that it wasn't that. Um, but I'll read the rest and see how I feel afterwards. Either way, he's a bad guy. I don't like him. So that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, you know, the Harkonnens did want him dealt with. You know, mm -hmm. they understood that you got to kill the kid because he'll come back looking for you. You know, it was Yui that, like, screwed that up because uh, they're them breaking the the um his conditioning like was 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 imperfect you know mm -hmm. so yeah. um like i think that the part of what leads him to become the person that he is is like the trauma of him being a child and this is one of the things you kind of miss when you watch kyle mclaughlin do it because he's like yeah. i don't know how old is he in that like 25 <laughs> or something like right like, <laughs> he's like 40 in that movie <laughs> <laughs> but like uh in the book, and I think this is one of the things that the new film gives us an opportunity to explore. Is this is this is these horrifying things that, where somebody's attempting to assassinate him, somebody's attempting to eradicate his family. These things are happening to him as a child, and I think that they affect his worldview and that they make him capable of making some of the decisions that he ends up making. Now, I don't think that the new film is going to turn their ship into the wind on that too much because. If there's one thing I've noticed from the from the trailer, it seems like they're kind of trying to make it like a teen romance kind of thing. Like it seems I watched the first trailer and I was like, this looks a lot like Hunger Games to me. Are they Hunger Games in Dune? Like, is this going to be about like sweet smooching in the desert? Because I don't remember Dune being about that. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what the we'll see how it all ends up coming out. I hope I hope that it has uh, the sense of gravitas that the um subject matter deserves uh so Khaldun, i just really want to thank you man for taking the time out of your day to join us on full metal rpg uh when we were speaking you had said that you used you block out your sundays for writing 
And of course, as all, I'm a fellow writer and I understand that writing, making the time to writing is very important. So the fact that you were willing to kind of like bend your schedule, be flexible with our, our needs for the streaming and stuff to be here with us today, that means a great deal to me. Thank you so much. Thank you also for these amazing insights that you've given us. This was a really lively conversation, and I'm very happy that you were able to come on and have it with us. You're fully welcome. Anytime you want to be on the show, please reach out to me because this this is the kind of material that I love doing on Full Metal RPG. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, it was a blast. So much for ha- having me, guys. Uh, you know, I, I really uh, enjoy talking about games, you know, in a serious way and, um, you know, talking about how they uh, affect our lives and, you know, the lives of the people around us. You know, they're, they're, they're important. I, I, I always appreciate talking to, the, to about them with people who also take them as seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. No but, problem. Yeah. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you to the cult. Thank you to the patrons. Uh, it's been another wonderful show, and I can't wait to do it again in two weeks. Have a good night. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain.